Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Small doses, self-help from the hip. Small doses, we're talking that shit. Small doses, and keeping it real. Small doses, with me and Nancy. It's so funky. It's so funky. <laughs> it's another episode of Small Doses. What are y'all doing, man? We're so far. Can you believe we're already in the second quarter of the year? How did this happen? How are we already in April? It's noodles, But we are. And um, things keep going and life keeps moving. Lando just pulled up next to me and laid down on the floor just to show me he loves me. We are talking about today something I feel so super duper incredibly passionate about. And that is side effects of being a multi-hyphenate, a.k.a. jack-of-all-trades, a.k.a. renaissance person. And this is so important to me because I am a multi-hyphenate, a.k.a. a jack-of-all-trades, a.k.a. a renaissance woman. And the reason I want to talk about this is because I know we have a lot of listeners who are creatives, but even if it's not about being a creative space, even if you just like to do a bunch of different things, I know that there's a lot of folks who are trying to figure out how they do that, why they do that. And then you have folks who think, no, nobody can really do a bunch of different things well or in a valuable way. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to debunk some things. We're going to get to the bottom of what is a true multi-hyphenate and how do you truly navigate the waters of a world that for all intents and purposes isn't really built to support that. So let's get into it. It's another edition of Small Zelsas. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. We dropping on these hoes. All right, let's drop these goddamn jams. Let's get into it. Today's gem dropping is multi-hyphenate versus a dabbler. I have a feeling I'm going to hurt some feelings today. Okay? I may get under your skin. I may say some things that you didn't realize. But when that truth hits you, I don't want you to run from it. Okay? I want you to grab it out the air. Like Dennis Rodman. Get that rebound. Okay? And I want you to go up the court. All right? And I want you to put it in for two. Because what I'm doing today is I'm giving you some gems that are going to get you some points. Okay? That's what we're doing. We're going to get you to a goal. Multi-hyphenate. Multi-hyphenate is somebody who is able to do a number of things at a masterful level prowess. They are somebody who has invested a considerable amount of time into becoming a professional at a number of different fields. They are also being paid to do the things that they are claiming to do. And probably the most important element of this is that there is a synergy 
amongst the many different things that they do. Now, that is a very hard thing to find sometimes, and we're going to get into that. But in contrast to a multi-hyphenate is a dabbler. A dabbler is somebody who is good at doing a number of things or who may even just do a number of things because you may not even be good at it, but you like a number of things. You feel full by doing a number of things. You feel driven by doing a number of things. However, the dabbler doesn't ever fully commit their energy to any of those things. And therefore, they never truly acquire a certain level of mastery to those things. Now, I know some people are listening and they're like, but Amanda, if you're a multi-hyphenate, how are you able to ever do that anyway? Because you're doing a number of things at the same time. Correct. However, you're not always doing all of those things at the same level. There was a time where I was hosting and I was writing and I was painting, but at the forefront, I was DJing. I was putting the majority of my energy into DJing. And I was DJing at least three nights a week. I was DJing in my crib. I was, all my focus was on DJing outside of these other things I was doing. And it was during that time that I was able to get to a certain level of mastery with DJing where I was able to become professional in that space. And I don't call myself shit unless I'm getting paid to do it. And I know some people might be like, well, that's not cool. You could be an artist without getting paid to be an artist. Nah, you do art. Okay. You do art. And the reason I say that is that there is a very, very big step that you take when you bring your creative work into its place of commerce. And it, I don't think it's to be taken lightly and it's not to be overlooked because there is a very, very, very big step of courage that it takes to put your work out there in a space where it can be judged or it can be traded or it can be paid for. And to do that is a big deal. And if you're not doing that, I kind of feel like, yeah, you may be somebody who is involved in that type of work, but I, I feel like unless you totally claim it, you shouldn't get to have the access to that title. When people say they're a DJ, but they're only DJing in their house, no one ever hears them. No one ever does it. It's like, well, shit. If a needle, if a record needle falls in the woods <laughs> and no one hears it, did the beat drop? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. When it comes to dabblers, dabblers are folks who just like to involve themselves in a number of different things. And they don't necessarily commit all their energy to one thing because maybe they have a certain level of like ADD about things, right? Maybe it's like, well, I just like doing this for this time and now I want to go do this for this time and now I want to go do this for this time and now I want to go do this for this time. And so it's more about the energy of change and variety that drives them versus these different items individually having their own uniqueness. A multi-hyphenate is somebody who can say that these different specific tasks, these different specific crafts all have their own individual identities attached to them. So like for me, DJing is a completely different train of thought than doing stand-up, which has its own energy. It has its own identity within my creative space. And it's not to say that these things don't have a synergy where they all work together, because that is something that I have managed to find. But they don't all 
have to interact with each other all the time in order for them to have value. Like I don't get to DJ that much anymore, but it's still something that I have in my back pocket. It's like, that's something I have done. That's something I have mastered. And that's something that I can claim for real in a real way. Now I've dabbled in certain things that I wouldn't say is the same thing. Like I'm not out here saying I'm a tennis player. I dabble in tennis. Like I go, I play tennis, I have fun, but I don't haven't I haven't committed myself to the mastery and professionalism of tennis. And I feel like it's a disrespect for me to say that when people like Sloane Stevens are out here on the tennis court every day doing the damn thing. Side note was on a flight. And a fine ass man got on that flight. And he had like five tennis rackets with him. And I was like, who is this fine ass tennis bay? I wanna hit some balls with him. <laughs> Love. 40 love. So I was sitting in first class (laughs) and he went to the back of the flight. The reason why it's important for me to tell you all that is because at the end of the flight, when we got off, I got off first and I waited. I waited for him to get off the flight. So he got off the flight and then I was basically like a full on stalker. And I was like on my Instagram, I was like, y'all, Tennis Bay has just exited the flight. Let's see what happens. And I was about to like go talk to him, but then he was just moving too fast. And he had a fine ass back of the neck. And I don't know about you all, but there are certain back of the necks that are just fine as shit. And I don't even know, it doesn't necessarily mean that the front is going to be the bomb, but some back of the necks really do have a certain flair to them. Like I have a nigga in my phone right now. You know what his picture is? The back of his neck. It just so happens his face is also beautiful. But just this back. Rebecca is looking at me crazy right now. I'm trying to tell you, Rebecca. It's a back of the neck. It's a certain cut of the hair. When a black man has a shape up that's just like a tight line, like a zzzzz. And then he has like a little chain. And then the mm, shoulders. Look at his shoulders. I'll I'll show you an example. Anywho, Tennis Bay had a beautiful back of the neck. And so we were, I say we like we were together. (laughs) He's walking through the airport and I'm following him. And then we got down to the um, baggage claim and I was like, you know what? I'm going to just go say what's up. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to do that because I believe, I don't care how I look, I will go and tell somebody that they're beautiful because it ain't about me. I really just want to let them know that they've been noticed. So I went over to Tennis Bay and I tapped him on the shoulder and I could immediately tell that he was talking to a woman on the phone. How could I tell this? Because a lot of men, their whole timber changes when they're talking to a woman on the phone. When they're talking to their boys, they're like, oh, what up, though? What up? When they're talking to a woman, they're like, yeah, so yeah, the flight was really good. Yeah, you know. It's a very quiet storm. I heard it and I was like, oh, okay, I just wanted you to know that uh, I waited until you got off the flight just so I could tell you that you were gorgeous. And he was like, oh, man, thank you. And then I started to walk away. And then I was like, Amanda, come on now. And I went back and I was like, can I have a picture? And we took a picture together. Within eight hours of me posting this picture on my Instagram, he was identified as Sloan Stevens hitting coach. (laughs) The power of the gram! Yes, my Instagram is so serious. And now we follow each other on Instagram. He has a beautiful baby coming with his girlfriend. And, um, you know, his, his Instagram stories are pretty live. So shout out to Coach OG, Tennis Bay. But Tennis Bay is out here really playing tennis with Sloan Stevens. He's not dabbling. He's really doing it. I get so offended with dabblers because I feel like a lot of times you'll get folks that are dabbling and they kind of try and undermine what a multi-hyphenate is it really about. And that's when you get the whole jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none thought process. You know, people have pushed this for quite some time that if you do a number of things, then you can't possibly be good at a number of things. And that is a false narrative. 
And it's a fear tactic that a lot of people put on folks because they don't have the ability to do a number of things. You know, you'll have people that tell you, you just need to focus on one thing. Just focus on one thing and that's it. And it's like, you can still focus on something while you are preventing the other things from becoming nothing. Okay, like you can focus on your writing, but still be out here singing, but still be out here doing stand up. I mean, it's just about your dedication and your discipline level that really determines. But you have to be able to navigate those waters yourself. And when you see people that are multi hyphenates, encourage them. Encourage them to figure out ways to manage and pursue their different fields of artistic interest. Don't just tell them that they got to stop. Someone told me before, oh, you can't sing and you can't rap. And now that's all people are doing is singing and rapping. They sapping out here. (laughs) You know? But when I was coming up, everybody told me, Amanda, you need to choose one thing. 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 And later when we get to that one time, I will tell you the story of eventually how I found what I call the skeleton key. And every multi-hyphenate has to find their skeleton key. And the skeleton key is the thing that brings all of your skill sets together. It is the hyphen. Because until you find the hyphens, you just have a bunch of different shit you're good at. And that's great, but it's not practical. And it isn't useful when it comes down to it. We're serving it. All right. Time for the DMT and it is piping hot. Let's get into it, man. A lot of great DMT questions. As I said, I'm very passionate about this topic. So really happy to answer these DMTs and, um, you know, just tackle some of these things that y'all are dealing with because I have absolutely dealt with them. First question. First question. How do you suppose one should divide their time in being a jack of all trades? I've always been at the mindset that if you divide your time amongst too many projects simultaneously, you will you will more than likely be mediocre in all of them because you're not giving each trade your 100%. I think that that's a very logical like notion, but at the end of the day, not everything requires the same amount of attention. So you might even be better at certain things than you are at other things. And so they might, exp- they might like get better faster than something else. So for instance, by the time I made it to stand-up comedy, I had already spent so many years on stage. I had already spent so many years writing that it really didn't take the same amount of effort to get good at stand-up that it took for me to get good at writing. And that it took for me to get good on stage because I had already had these other aspects that were integral aspects to this art form. Perfect. I had already had those things mastered. So it didn't take the same amount of time. So even though I was putting a lot of effort into getting my stand up up to snuff, it didn't require me to just shut down everything else because it didn't require all of me to get there. Whereas in the beginning of my career, per se, like I was just starting out as an actor. And so when I was doing little acting roles and I was in theater at school, like that was my full immersive process, being an actor, being on stage, being in the acting space. And even with that, I still had to sing because of musical theater and I still dabbled in directing 
because I was doing different projects. Notice how I said dabbled in directing. I don't claim the title of director because I've never been paid to direct because I've never had someone ask me to come and direct something for them. I have never exchanged directing as an actual tangible good. So I don't consider myself a director because I also have not committed myself time-wise to the art form of directing and learning how to do it. However, I have done that when it comes to acting. I have done that when it comes to writing. And it is absolutely all these things come together. But over time, when it was time for me to start writing again more, I didn't have to put all of my eggs into the writing basket because I had already kind of learned my voice. So I say that to say that you also have to learn a certain level of juggling. You know, like, and I, I mentioned this earlier in the show where it's like, if you look at it like different glasses of, of liquid, you know, sometimes you're going to pour more liquid into the first glass and the others are going to remain like, you know, less empty. But then you drink from that glass and now you put more liquid into the second glass. And that's how you kind of like juggle your work. You know, it's where your space is. There are times when I have to be painting all the time because I'm getting ready for an exhibit. So every other thing that I'm doing takes kind of like, I won't say that it's shunned and that I don't bother with it, but it does take a certain level of backseat for the time while I entertain and while I invigorate this skill set of painting. Right now, that's what's going on with writing. I'm writing the book. So the book takes precedence over everything else. It's not to say that I don't focus on smart, funny, and black. It's not to say that I don't focus on insecure, but it is not... The, but those three things are part of my world, but they right now are not the primary focus. So it's really about finding your primary focus and why that's your primary focus and putting energy into that until it is time to shift. And for me, I usually look at omens and I listen to my gut when I know it's time to shift. Sometimes it's time to shift because you got a new job. And you need to go work on that. Or sometimes it's time to shift because you just simply feel like, you know what? I haven't dedicated enough energy to my painting and I need to give some more energy to my painting. And as an artist and as a multi-hyphenate, it is important to keep that level of consciousness. Like I know that I have been really, truly slacking on my painting completely. And I've already made a vow to myself that once I finish writing this book, the first thing I'm going to do is an exhibit. The first thing I'm going to do when I finish writing this book is prepare for an exhibit and paint some new pieces and put them out there for y'all to see them. And I have to do that because I owe that to my art side, to my painting side of my wheel of skills. And you got to remember about yourself those things. So like I said, there's 100% of you, but you don't have to give 100% of yourself to get better at something. I feel like you just need to give a lot of yourself consistently over time. Next question. Sometimes I feel like since I'm able to catch on to new things so easily, I'll never be able to find my specific craft. I envy people that know they're very good at and know what they're committed to. I can be decent at everything, but there's not one thing that I'm specialized in. How can I find that one thing? And is it even worth it to stick to one thing I can work on? Well, you know, the, the idea of worth it or not worth it is really about what makes you happy. You know, what makes you passionate. I have a friend of mine who is a truly gifted writer. Truly. He's also gifted in a bunch of other things, but he's actually like a really gifted writer. But he is 
almost apprehensive to fully dive into the writing because he feels like it could possibly like shut out all these other things that he really enjoys doing. Now with that, I had to say, listen, it's not necessarily that there's going to be like one thing that you do and then everything else doesn't matter, but there might be one thing that opens the doors for everything else that matters. And that's what I call the skeleton key. The skeleton key is essentially the hyphen that brings all of these things you do together. It's like if you're looking at thread going through canvas. The hyphen is the thread that's going through the canvas and it's going through all these skills that you have. But you got to figure out what that thread is. And sometimes that thread is not as specific as a specific art form. Sometimes it might be a tone. Like you might be someone who is very good at drama. So maybe you have very uh, dramatic writing. Maybe you are a very good dramatic actor. Maybe you're an incredible dramatic songwriter, etc. And so that tone overhead is what is like fueling your work. So I've, I've seen people who are like really good at, um, they're really into like fantasy. Right. And so they find a way to like fuel all of their work under the banner of fantasy, whether it's writing fantasy or creating characters that are in fantasy or drawing fantasy or performing fantasy, cosplay, etc. That's the thing. For me, my skeleton key was comedy. And I realized that I was a writer, I was a host, I was an actress, I was a singer. And people were looking at me do all these things and they'd be like, yeah, but it's almost like you do nothing. Like you're really good at all these things, but like, but like, what does it actually do for you? How does this actually come together? And I had to look at people who had careers that I wanted and figure out what was the missing link that's from my career that they have. And so that was a, that was a real key to me figuring out what is the thing that I truly love. Because I knew that I had all of these things. It's like, but what do I love though? What do, I, what do I love? Yeah, I'm good at these things. I'm good at it. I'm good at it. But what do I really want? What is the actual outcome? Because even though I knew that I, actually, let me correct myself. It wasn't necessarily finding about what I love. It's finding about what's the outcome that you desire. What is the actual outcome that you desire? I know that I love to laugh and I love to make people laugh. People would ask me out of all the skills that you have, what's the one thing that you really love the most? And it would be like, I am blessed that I can do all these different things, but I am honored that I can make people laugh. I consider that to be like a, a, a mutant X-Men level skill that I have that is beyond something that I could learn. It's something that I was, it was just like innately in you. Even that though, didn't guide me to where I needed to get to in order to really get the momentum going behind my work. What really did that was when I figured out what is the actual outcome I desired. The outcome I desired was that I wanted to have a multi-platform moguldom fueled by my point of view. And what I mean by that is that I would have, you know, live shows, I would have television, film, I would have print, and these would all be functioning under my point of view. So then I had to look at people who had those careers. And I looked at Ellen DeGeneres, Chelsea Handler, and Chris Rock. And those are all three people who are very different from each other, but their careers are all multi-platform moguldoms based on their point of view. And the one thing that all three of them had that I didn't have was stand-up. And I realized if I wanted to get that outcome, 
I needed to do stand-up. And it wasn't that stand-up was the skeleton key, but it was that comedy was the skeleton key. And in order to be considered a true comedian, I needed to do stand-up. And so that was that. And it was almost like, you know, in The Alchemist, they say that when you want something, the universe will conspire to give it to you. Within, like, months of that epiphany, SNL decided they needed a negress. And there was a bunch of, like, stand-up, black women stand-up showcases that went up all over New York City. And someone just randomly hit me and was like, hey, I'd love for you to come and be on our showcase. And I was like, okay. I had never done stand-up before. But I took it as one of those, like, being called to the altar moments. And I went and I did the show and I did really well. You can actually see my first stand-up set on YouTube. And it was, that was all she wrote. From that point forward, I started doing stand-up. And stand-up has ended up being this, like, undercurrent that allowed for people to accept the fact that I was a multi-hyphenate in a way that they didn't before. Because before it was like, oh, you're funny and you do all these things. Once I was a stand-up, it became, oh, so you do do all those things, right? It was almost requisite to be a multi-hyphenate once I was a stand-up. And now it became where people weren't questioning that I do all those things. They were like expecting that I do all of those things. And they understood that as a stand-up, it made perfect sense that I do all those things. So you got to think about what is your outcome that you desire. You may like to do a number of different things, but when you figure out what the outcome is, it will make it way more clear for you where those things fit in, what their purpose is, and how they're going to land once you do get to where you want to go. I was preaching just now, y'all. I feel like I was preaching. (laughs) Next question. So this is a very interesting question. Um, Someone says, I'm 24 and working, but I want to go back to school to get my master's. The trouble is I don't know in what field. I did psychology in college, and though I loved it, there's no work in that field where I live. I'm working now as an accountant because I have some experience in the area, but I also have a passion for interior design as well as political science. You always knew you... You always knew you wanted to get into the arts, I'm assuming, but when did you, when did what you were take you to where you want to be or where you are now? The reason it is a jack of all trade question is because I'm a jack of all trade, but a master of none. So it becomes difficult when it comes to specializing in any area. My question is, how did you know what was for you? My answer is not going to answer your question because I'm a creative and it's a different space. Um, but I think what, what, what's interesting that I got from your question is that I don't think any of these things are necessarily for you. I think that they are just what's in front of you. It's more like this is just a hustle. This is a part of your hustle phase. And I always say that there's two different phases. You have your hustle phase, which is where you figure out, you work out like what you like, what you don't like, what's for you, what, what's not for you, what you tolerate, what you're about. And the, the grind, grind is when you are applying your workforce and your energy towards a specific goal. You're still in the hustle phase and you're 24. So that's pretty natural for you to be in the hustle phase at that time. The thing about it though, is that you said in here that you stopped doing psychology because there really aren't any jobs like that around where you live. And I think that that's very interesting because it seems to me like you're just doing kind of like what's at your grasp. And there's nothing wrong with that, but in pursuing what you really love You have to think outside of just what's at your feet. You have to think about what's necessarily just low, think outside of just what's low hanging fruit and really consider what speaks to you in a real way. And that can be a difficult thing to figure out, especially when you're just trying to get your ends meet and trying to get your money. 
Because sometimes the work that you're doing isn't ha- doesn't have anything to do with your passion. You know, finding the ability to be in a job that you love and in a career that you love is absolutely like the dream and the goal. And not enough of this country is dedicated to that. Um, and I feel like we, we really have to do better about that because we would have such a better society if people were actually doing what they love to do versus just simply doing what they have to do. But because money is necessary and because, you know, having a roof over your head and being able to provide for your kids is absolutely important. Like you may not have the luxury of doing what you love to do. In which case, the question becomes like, how do you have like a job that you do, but a hobby that you can dabble in that really fulfills you? And I think right now you're in a place where it's like, just do the shit that comes to you is one path. Or it's like, know that the thing that you're doing is just a thing that you're doing, but really explore like what really drives you. You know, what is something that would make you want to wake up every day to do it? And what is something that maybe you like, but you didn't even know there was a career attached to? Like, you know, I know especially like uh, the person who has the question is a black woman. I know a lot of black folks, like we have a very limited scope for a lot of us in terms of like what careers are truly out there. Did you know that you can be a treasure hunter? That's like an actual career. You can be a treasure hunter for a job. You know, like people don't even know, like you love animals. You can be a zoologist, you know, like you can actually be that. Like I see people that are loving to travel and they're like, how am I going to get a career in travel if I, if I don't have a travel show? Man, people are travel bloggers. People are getting paid to do reviews for travel. You know, there are people who are getting paid to like simply just go and house sit for people. (laughs) So you may not even have like a writing skill, but you're just like really good at taking care of people's shit, you know? So there's all these different ways and methods of getting what you want out of your life, but you have to take the time to really figure that out and explore that. And I know that people don't really give tips on how to explore that, but my tip to you is really think about what makes you happy. What are you most joyful doing? And once you get that, then think about what are the ways in which that exists in a tangible career format. Then think about who are the people, research what are the people and who are the people that are doing that career and how did they get there. And that will be your roadmap to how you can get there too. People I like. Yeah. All right. On today's People I Like, it's really about people's. I like because I really wanted to be able to give you all like a a number of examples of multi-hyphenates, types of multi-hyphenates and ways of which they done flipped the script all into one and made shit work. So let's start with a legend. okay? the late great Gordon Parks. If you don't know who Gordon Parks is, Gordon Parks was not only an incredibly influential photographer, he was a brother, and he used all of his artistic forms to push the envelope in terms of identity, in terms of using art as um, revolution, and also as expression. He was a director, he was a photographer, he was a composer, he was also a writer. And what Gordon Parks represents for so many of us is the fact that it didn't matter that he was a black man at a time of great oppression. He was like, nah, like y'all ain't going to hold me the fuck back. 
You know, he was doing documentary photojournalism in the 40s all the way on to the 70s. I mean, he saw the Willie Lynch syndrome and Jim Crow at its worst. He was literally born in 1912 in freaking Kansas, y'all. So, you know, Gordon Parks is someone who I think a lot of us really can look to as multi-hyphenates because he found ways to make all of these things interject and even created the black exploitation film genre. Gordon Parks is the director of Shaft. Like, this is this is it. So I think that we look at Gordon Parks, and when we look at ourselves and say, like, okay, like, what kind of multi-hyphenate eye? We're looking at somebody who managed over the course of time to let one hyphenate skill lead into the other, you know? And also who used those different skills to add value to the last one, you know? So becoming a composer and being able to score his own shit, write your own shit, you know what you do when you're able to do that is you're able to give yourself a foray into a new stream of income and also into a new creative space. So big ups to Gordon Parks, obviously. Then we have like the Hollywood actor, writer, director, you know, like Greta Gerwig, George Clooney, Ben Stiller, <sighs> Tyler Perry. You see, like we complain about all these Tyler Perry movies getting made. And we'd be like, damn, like, can we get better black movies? Like why? But it, he's a multi-hyphenate. The, he's able to get all these movies made because he's coming from one source. He's the writer. He's the director. And he's like, oh, we need somebody to act in it. I'm going to do that too. This is why it's so important that we as multi-hyphenates continue to like hone our skill sets on these different levels. You know, in Broadway, they have the actor, singer, dancer. That's the triple threat. Acting, singing, dancing. You know, and that means like, you know, you can get on stage and in a musical, you can hit all three points. Well, when it comes to Hollywood, being able to do that as an actor, writer, director is giving you the triple threat status that allows you to advance and actually like really have more control over your product. And when you're out here where they're just defining everybody under their own labels and headings, you want to be able to do that yourself. I've said it many times in this podcast already, and I'm saying it again because I want to reiterate it so that it really sinks in. Now, I don't want to think, I don't want y'all to think that like multi-hyphenates are only from the creative space, but it just naturally is that way because I the arts are so interconnected and they are not like disparate. Like the, I mean, when we look at a multi-hyphenate, like in sports, like Bo, I mean, Bo knew everything, right? Bo knew baseball, Bo knew football, Bo knew basketball, Bo knew tennis, Bo knew ice skating. I mean, what did Bo know? But the reality was, is that he really was only able to ex exercise his multi-hyphenate athleticism in two fields because of scheduling, realistically speaking, right? Because I would have loved to see Bono hockey. I would have loved to see it. Athletics is so interesting because it's similar to artistry in that, like, if you do have a certain level of athletics, like, ability, like, physical athletic ability, it's almost like you can really do anything. I mean, shit, I was a gymnast, and you can't tell me that I can't do shit. If you just tell me the form and how to do it, give me a, give me a little bit, and I'll be a bowling champion, okay, by next year. I just need a little time. I mean, I started playing tennis, and I really feel like it's because of the athletic natural ability that I have that I'm able to like pick up pretty quick and when you look at someone like Allen Iverson was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame and he said you know here I am I thought I was the greatest football player of all time and I'm being inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame and it's like the multi-hyphenateness is real so looking at um, other multi-hyphenates this is somebody I really didn't even know was a multi-hyphenate Viggo Mortensen yes Viggo Mortensen, Edwin's boo in Lord of the Rings, the return of the Kang. 
Yes. He is a true multi-hyphenate. And not, not even I know just like, oh, I'm an actor, I'm a writer. Nah. Yeah, we know he's an actor, but he's also does music, does photography, painting, and poetry. He even has his own publishing press. I was like, yes, Beegs. He sells paintings. Like, I mean, I just was thoroughly impressed. Thoroughly. So shout out to Vigo Mortensen because that's also interesting too, is that like he has done so like kind of under the radar. But it's still creating like forms of expression and streams of income. But he's also creating when you have like a printing press, a publishing house, I should say. We are not in (laughs) 1600s England. Um, We're not printing out the King James Bible. But when you have a publishing house, you are creating spaces for other creatives. And I think that's also like a very dope part of being a multi-hyphenate and getting to a point where your different skills are also different levels of career. So that's very interesting and very incredible. And, you know, that leads us into people like Chelsea Handler, Oprah Winfrey, Ellen. You know, they are all TV hosts, but they became multimedia moguls by creating other platforms where their point of view is valid. Like you look at someone like Oprah and it's like, okay, yeah, she was the host. But then she also created like Oprah's like, you know, favorite things. Right. So then that became like its own thing where she had now become an influencer. But then she became an owner of the network own. So listen, part of being a multi hyphenate, don't ever discount being a businesswoman as a skill because that shit is its own thing. All right. Learning how to make shit go cha-ching. That's another skill. And not all artists have that or even want to be business savvy per se. A lot of us are just like, yo, let me just make the art and you go over there and figure that shit out. So, you know, someone like Oprah, who's not only uh, a host and has become a businesswoman, she's also an actress. She's also a producer. You know, these are great examples of people who, as multi-hyphenates, saw how one road led to the next. And even if they had to maybe put one on hold for a little bit, they never took everything off the sidewalk and said, we're not going to keep building this road. They came back to it later, you know? And that's the thing. It's like when we when we explore other people's blueprints, it's not to say that you have to go the exact same road as them. It's not to say that that has to be like, okay, if I don't do it this way, it's not going to happen for me. Nah. What it says is, is that it can happen. That's what it says. I remember one time I had a meeting with an agent and she said to me, give me an example of somebody who's, who's come before you that's like you. And I was like, ah, oh, man, like I just, I, I don't got nothing for you, man. You know? And she was like, well, the thing about that is, is that if you can't give an example of someone who's come before you that's like you, then it means that there's nothing to measure how you'll be successful. And I was like, wait, what? And she was like, yeah, I mean, if you're unique, what metric do we have to measure against upon whether or not you would be successful if there's no one else before you that was successful? And I mean, that's one way of thinking, but I think that that's a load of bullshit. And I think the way you get around bullshit like that is you say, well, the reality is, is that what we do have a metric on is that there have been plenty of individuals who were incredibly unique and who were multi-hyphenates to the nth degree that became successful. And because I am of that ilk, I too will be successful. I mean, can we talk about Prince? I mean, can we talk about Prince? Shit. That That one time? (laughs) Oh, that one time. Once upon a time, your girl Amanda was 
walking through the New York City streets, not knowing what she really, quote unquote, was. It was like I could do all these different things, but I didn't know what to quantify them as. And it was a complete puzzle for me to figure this out. I would ask anyone who would listen. I would sit at dinners, pondering on different titles. I've gone through so many different like labels for myself. And the only reason why I was going through this was because I knew that the marketplace needs a way to label you. They need somewhere to put you. They need to be able to say, she fits over here. And even if you know that there's way more to you than that, it's still just playing the game, but not playing yourself. So you want to come up with a label that allows you to play the game without playing yourself. And that takes a very conscious, uh, time-consuming sometimes process. For me, I went through humorist. I was like, yeah, maybe I'm like Will Rogers. He was a multi-hyphenate. Will Rogers was a performer. He was a creative. He was a writer. And then he was also a comedian. So maybe that's what I am. I'm a humorist. I'm somebody who just finds humor and, and, and uses that in all different avenues. Then it was like, and it's not to say that that wasn't true. But it's just like, yeah, but it's, it's like the 2008. It's like the 2010s. And like humorous is not like a common thing. <laughs> You know, we're not listening to like Walt Whitman on the radio and, you know, Norman Walkwell isn't like the talk of the town. Um, I mean, shit, we, we, we don't have prohibition. So there's that. Uh, so then. What I just did right there is I was doing the theme music to The Untouchables. The Untouchables is a film starring Sean Connery. Sean Connery. And, um... And who's our guy? Uh, Sean Connery and, come on, Costner. And Kevin Costner. And if you build it, they will come. And Kevin Costner. And it's a movie about prohibition. And when I was a gymnast, they had tapes. Yes, cassette tapes that had like all different floor musics on them. And one of them was The Untouchables. And I never used it as my floor music, but I would do full trampoline routines in my backyard. And it's like, meow, meow. There's like a whole oboe thing. Ennio Morricone was the composer. And it's the same guy who did composers for Westerns, which makes perfect sense as to why it has that weird, eerie sound in it. But I digress. Um, what I was doing at the time was trying to figure out like what I could be labeled as. So then I was like, all right, maybe I'll be like a, uh, maybe you can just call me like a personality. And I see this a lot of times on the Instagrams now, like where people will just be like, I'm a personality. And it's like, what does that really mean? That you're somebody interesting? Does that mean that you're an influencer? Does it mean that you're somebody who's intriguing? Oh, I also went through influencer as well. Yeah. She's an influencer. Then you have It Girl. It Girl was an actual label and title that people were actually claiming. Like, oh, she's the It Girl. And it's like, oh, I guess I, I, guess I want to be the It Girl too. And then you find out like, oh, you mean in order to be the It Girl, I got to just like go along with shit? Nah, because I'm the no shit girl. Like, I takes none of it. So that wasn't going to happen. So, like, I literally was, like, going through all of this, and it was driving me crazy because it, what it felt like was, like, until I found this, I wasn't going to be able to move forward. Like, I felt like I wasn't going to be able to advance my movement or my momentum, I should say. And that all changed when um, my manager at the time started encouraging me to write. And he was like, just write. Start writing because what really people don't understand if you're a performer listening to this is that writing is the actual key to everything. 
because nothing gets made if it hasn't been written, unless you're in an improv group. (laughs) It's the facts, whether it's film, TV, shit, music, it all requires a written template in order to come from. And if you have that ability, if you have that skill to be able to write, you now are writing your way into the game because you can create projects for yourself. And you also give yourself more cachet because now you're not just a talent that's getting weight, that's waiting for an opportunity. You can create your own opportunities and studios like that because they're like, oh, we can bundle the cost. So here we go. There we go. I started writing and eventually I uh, found myself asked to be a part of this showcase, this comedy stand up comedy showcase. And it was literally like being called to the altar because I knew by that time I knew that I was going to have to do stand up in order to be legitimized. And I knew that comedy, remember I talked about being a humorist. I knew I had found that comedy was the thread. Comedy was the hyphen going through all my shit. But then I realized once I became a stand up, and not just a stand up, but like a good stand up, not just someone who is able to do stand up, but someone someone who thrives in stand-up. And I realized early on that that was going to be possible. I knew it. I could feel it because when I got on stage, it didn't feel foreign at any point. It has never at any point felt foreign for me to be on the stand-up stage. I never at any point had to get used to doing stand-up. I just had to get better at doing stand-up, okay? I know I kind of just put my balls out on the table right now, right there. It was like, blah! Okay, I sent that like it's like when you send a text with the slam effect on Instagram on the iPhone. Those was my balls just now. Okay, six point nine on the Richter. <laughs> She's shaking the table. But I digress. Uh, <laughs> what comedy did for me was it served as a skeleton key because yes, I had started writing. I had always been acting. I had been hosting. But what comedy did as a skeleton key is it opened the door to making all of those things go from being individual streams and skill sets to being requisites to making my comedy career move forward. And so whoever is out there listening and is saying, what is my passion? Where where am I trying to go with all these things? You have to figure out what is the skill that I either have or that I need to acquire, or that I need to develop, that is going to allow for all of these other skills to thrive in an organic way and in a synergistic way amongst each other. Because literally, once I became a comic, it went from, oh, you know, you don't, you do all these things, you don't do nothing, to like, oh, you do all these things, right? Right? They were expected. And... All this time, people will tell you, you have to pick one thing, you have to pick one thing, and they will contextualize it as you have to only do one thing. Nah. When you have to pick one thing, what it means is you have to pick the thing that allows you to do everything. The last dose. So, this has been a really personal episode for me because... I really went through the struggle of finding my way as a multi-hyphenate. And I will tell you all, I am a success story. No, that's not the feds coming to get me. But (laughs) I am a success story because I somehow managed to stay afloat and keep my head above the water and keep all these different talents afloat long enough to meet people who saw the value in keeping all these skills afloat. 
Because I would meet managers and agents who would be like, oh, we don't need that. Or we don't need this. Or let's do away with that. And you're just like, nah. It's like a kid with their toys. You're like, no, I like Barbie and I like Jim. Why do I got to choose? And I fuck with G.I. Joe. And that's how I feel about my arts. And I feel like those of you all who are out there listening, that's how you feel too. It almost feels like you're a fractured spirit when you're not allowed to do all of the artistic skills that you want to. Because you're like, I need them to form like Voltron or like, like pieces of porcelain that have been glued back together to form a masterpiece. You have to remember, though, you have the power to create that masterpiece. You have the agency to put that all together. And it really inquire, it just really requires you looking into yourself. And it also requires you also taking a look at the landscape of things and just bringing those two worlds together. And that is easier said than done, but it is possible. And I've done it, and I gave you a list of several people who have also done it. So that means, guess what? You can do it too. And you know why? Because your kung fu is strong. You have many styles. <laughs>